So you wanna watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark for movie night. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. Welcome to another week. We are covering a 1984 movie by Alex Cox. It was Jared Choice. Mm-hmm. Covering Repo Man this week, folks. Repo Man. I guess a film known as like a cult classic and stuff like that. I'm sure we'll be... That's how I've always known it, yeah. Cannonballing into it soon enough, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how's your week been, man? Oh, dude, real good. Real good. And absolutely thrilled to talk about this movie this week with you, dude. I am so excited to get into it you've been pretty fired up in the in the pregame to this uh this episode so i'm I'm interested to see where all that fire is coming from yeah i mean it's funny like uh this is a little inside baseball yet again but normally when we record these podcasts it's in the evening and i'm having some beer or some wine or something and it's that sort of energy today is a little bit on earlier than normal and i'm drinking coffee and I'm, i'm just getting a little buzzed and honestly I'm just very excited about this specific flick, dude. I think it's, we'll, we'll, we'll save it. You're getting coffee energy from Jared today. This is coffee energy. I'm super excited to chat about this flick, dude. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to have this conversation. Uh, I, I'm curious to hear how this, this particular movie got on the board. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember in the moment, this kind of being from the hip when you put yeah, it on the board. Absolutely, it was from the hip, precisely. So this movie had gotten into my subconscious a little bit, and I had forgotten about it until it got time to put something on the board. So I had recently watched John Carpenter's Escape from New York for the first time, and you and I were just chatting about that, and I was like, you know, I really want to see more Harry Dean Stanton. Like, I know that he passed away recently. I, I, I've loved him in the things I've seen him in, and I know he's considered like an iconic character actor, but I've never really seen a ton of his work. So that was like seedling number one. Mm -hmm. Then like seedling number two was I was listening to Bill Hader's Barry podcast on the ringer. It's called, I think it's the prestige TV podcast is what it's called, which if anyone's watching, yeah, it was Sean fantasy. And if anyone's watching Barry or has watched it through season three, this podcast is an, is an excellent podcast, in my opinion. Sean Fennessy asks great questions. Uh, Bill Hader seems really engaged with the questions, and he's a great interviewee. Um, but he is constantly giving shout-outs to movies and things that inspired him. And he is a really big cinephile. Like, I remember, like... Uh, John Mulaney telling a story about how Bill Hader was watching like Werner Herzog films in like high school and stuff. So it's always been a consuming part of his life, it seems. And he mentioned Repo Man. And I was like, Repo Man, I've heard about that movie. I really don't know much about it. And I want to see it. So I did, I took a little screenshot. And then when we got to putting a dart on the board, I was like, oh, let's try this movie from. 2017 called Lucky. It's Harry Dean Stanton. I want to check it out. And we were having a conversation. And honestly, it was like, that might not be a great choice for right now. Like, let's, it's so obscure. Maybe let's try to find a different choice. Well, my argument on that one was just that it's, that movie is positioned as kind of 
the culmination of his career and I don't yeah. know his career. So I wanted right. to know his career before I got there. Yeah. I, I'm definitely excited to check that film out uh, and put it on the board one day. But I think you were right. It's like, oh, we're not really, we don't know much about it was this his guy. last movie. Yeah. yeah. Like let's, let's, let's get in on an earlier floor and, and so to speak, and let's see some of his work. And then I, I remember that he was in repo man and I was like, Oh shit. No, no, this is the one repo man. Let's do it. Let's do it. And it also is kind of interesting, too. So that's how it got on the board. But it's interesting that we hit it so soon. I think this is one of the... It feels like a pretty quick turnaround. Well, yeah, I mean, you put it on for the like during the Mother episode. So that was like, what, two weeks ago? Something like that? Yeah. we ha- Yeah. I mean, we haven't even... Uh, I don't think we've even edited that episode yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. So that super recent edition, and, and we hit it. And I'll just say the board works in mysterious ways. You have to trust the dart. So we go from Putney Swope last week, this very kind of loose and bizarre and and strange and movie that I absolutely loved Mm -hmm. with a killer soundtrack. And then we lead into almost like a companion piece from a different generation. We have another movie that is very loose, very strange with amazing music. So I think they really ended up syncing together really nicely yeah no it's it's look your picks are are always interesting i will yeah. i will say that you you've never picked a movie that didn't at least well i guess the, the most down the middle you've been the whole time is the birdcage probably yeah the birdcage and maybe and all sling the president's blade. men i guess yeah, yeah. Uh, sling blade all the president's men those uh, are all, you, those are those are all the more mainstream everything else has been fucking bat shit yeah weird and fucking bizarre <laughs> yeah i mean this this podcast will be a In fun a way, way for us mind you. for us and listeners too to uh just explore the differences between drew's and i's tastes and the type of movies that get on the board you know but yeah this is very it's so clearly a Jared choice, you know what I mean? It's got a very Jared energy to it. For sure. Um, but you mentioned at, towards the top of the conversation how this movie's kind of like a cult classic. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, um, did, how much How much did you know about this movie before going into it? Did you know much? I want to say the first time I encountered this movie was actually when I saw uh, Party Down while I was in college because the, <laughs> the pilot of Party Down involves Martin Starr invoking this movie, just saying ordinary fucking people. I remember that too. Party Down's initial pilot episode, just as an aside, is great. If anyone hasn't seen it, that show is spectacular, but that scene too. And I remember exactly what we're talking about. He's like, ordinary fucking people. And I never got the fucking reference at all. Well, I mean, in the show, Adam Scott calls it out. He's like, Repo Man. And so I... I, I have always had it in my head. I also, for the longest time, until literally until this week, I thought that the 2010 Jude Law Forrest Whitaker movie, Repo Men, was a remake of this movie. I hadn't, for some reason, I, I had those two tied together in my brain, but no, they're, they're completely different movies. Mm-hmm. So you knew, you knew it got the shout out and party down. You know what's funny? When Adam Scott says Repo Man, my knowledge was so low about this movie that I thought he was talking about a song. I thought they were like quoting some sort of famous song about oh, ordinary people. Okay. I didn't even know it was a movie. Gotcha. Um, about so beyond that kind of party down context, 
Did you know much about the plot? Did you know who was in it? Like, did you know any sort of that stuff swirling Well, around? I think I had probably looked it up at some point and saw that it was Emilio and, and Harry Dean Stanton. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I was aware of this movie uh, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, was, again, aware that it was kind of, you know, had cult classic status. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was also really excited to watch this movie going in because I, I looked on uh, my letterbox and, you know, all the people I follow, like, had this at, you know, really great ratings. And I was like, this, mm-hmm. this movie's going to fucking rule. All right. Well, let's hear it, man. What was your reaction to Repo Man? I completely disagree with all my letterbox followers. I don't <gasps> get this movie. Oh, Wow. Wow, this is surprising. I know. You held your cards to your chest so well. I didn't get any inkling in the intro banter that this didn't vibe with you. This is great, dude. I'm shocked. I wouldn't say I'm disappointed, but I'm truly surprised. I didn't look, I didn't hate it. Um mm-hmm. I there are parts that I I enjoyed. I mean, I everything with Harry Dean Stanton, I mean, he's he's just magnetic on screen he's he's Mm -hmm. fascinating to watch i i (laughs) loved everything that he was doing but i mean he's not in a whole lot of this movie really yeah he is but i but i think the movie has so many different threads that it's jumping between that all the characters i think get shortchanged outside of maybe uh emilio Mm -hmm. yeah and I do think it's bizarre that Harry Dean Stanton gets top billing. I mean, I know he's a more better known star and sometimes that's just the way like indie films work is like you got to put the star up top. But this is this movie to me clearly seems to be about Emilio Estevez and his and his character's journey. Well, to be fair, among other Emilio things. was the only fame he had was as Martin Sheen's son. And yeah. the fact that he was in The Outsiders the year before for Francis mm-hmm. Ford Coppola. Like, you know, The Outsiders is a legendary cast of just up and coming actors in the 80s that became incredibly famous. To list them off, it's C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, oh, Tom my. Cruise, Diane oh. Lane. Um, what? Yeah, dude. It, I've never heard of this movie. What? What a and that, it's directed by Coppola. Row. And it's directed by Coppola. But all it, those actors, for the most part, were complete unknowns when that movie came out. Sorry, I'm googling this movie. What's it called? The, the Outsiders? Outsiders. It's from 1983. Okay, I'm definitely. I don't know if it's going on the board, but I'm going to get to this movie. I'm just really in. in I'm very intrigued. But yeah. anyway, so, so that you, movie so, came out the year before this. But I mean, that's Emilio's only real fame is that and being the son of Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so, you know, this is pre breakfast club. This is pre St. Elmo's fire. This is, you know, pre mighty ducks, obviously. So, you know, they, he's, yeah, he's, he's still pretty much an unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So in that way, it does make sense that he's, not but I mean, Tom Harry Dean is not all that famous. I mean, no, he's, he's, he's a character a, actor. Yeah, the he's the like thing is that this is guy. the year where he actually kind of gets his fame. Um, we'll cool. get we'll get to Harry Dean, yeah, but, we'll I, but I want to before we do that, I want to hear your reactions because I mean, well, like, you know, I had my reactions. I don't hate this movie. I mm-hmm. I, I found parts to, to really enjoy. But overall, I was just kind of I was just kind of like, I don't get it. I don't know yeah. what, what the deal is with this. Was there before we get to my take, I wanted to kind of pull on the, the sweater thread a little bit. OK. Uh, was it do you think it was something about the looseness, the way it was jumping around? You just weren't really clicking with it. Does it is it could you be. Is it possible to be specific or is it just kind of a general vibe? I just, like I'm not really I don't think it. it's very well directed. I didn't find very much of the, the way the movie was shot all that interesting. I mean, I will talk about the cinematography. I think you had some, some things you wanted yeah. to touch on there. Um, I think it, I think it's okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think I mean it's a low budget movie, so I I, I don't I'm not going to hold its like effects or anything against it. That's that's not a problem for yeah. me. I love all that kind of lo fi shit. Yeah, um, yeah. I think all the performances for the most part come across as really just like they they just don't work for me. The dialogue doesn't <laughs> all that much work for me outside of the Harry Dean and, and Emilio stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just I I just kind of had a very blah reaction to it. Yeah. This is this is a stunning reversal. This is going to be one of our larger disagreements. It's probably yeah. not going to be as hot hot boiled as, you know, something like Moulin Rouge or and maybe even Cable Hogue, but I love this movie. I think this is this is skyrocketing up the charts to be in the pantheon of some of my favorite movies of all time. Wow. And every everything wow. <laughs> everything you just mentioned, I was like when you were like, I didn't really care for the directing. I was thinking, I fucking loved the direction of this movie. And you're like, the cinematography was okay. I was like, I think it is shot amazingly well. I love all of the characters. I love all of the performances with the exception. We'll get to them, but with the exception of, I think Emilio's just okay. But I also think his okayness really fits for the character. And it kind of works in a weird way. But everyone else... What everyone else is doing in the movie, I'm just loving with open arms. And I think it is so damn funny. It is so damn loose. And it's it's so all over the place. And, and again, a really interesting comparison side piece with Putney Swope. But I love this movie. I watched it three times in preparation for this. And a lot of times when we do these pods and we do the rewatches, right? Like, it can feel a little bit like a chore, like you're like I, I, you know, I really dug this movie, but I literally just saw it like 28 hours ago, and now I'm watching it again. And like it feels like a, a homework assignment, kind of. I w- w- really loved watching this movie three times. It never, it never felt like a chore. And every every time I watched it, I liked it a little bit more and a little bit more. And it's just, it has completely swept me off my feet, and it is. I think so amazing. I really, that's awesome. Really, I, I mean, dude, I am stoked for you that that's your yeah. reaction to this. <laughs> and, and you know, like that, that, that makes this conversation more interesting that you're yeah, that, sure. that high on it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I think the movie, I mean, looking at the re- the reactions of other people, I'm, absolutely in the minority on this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't want to be a wet blanket in this conversation i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and and shit talk it top to bottom Uh, i kind of want to just kind of focus on the things that i really like but i want you to just like go full bore on you know what you want and and i'll react to it as needed uh but yeah yeah. i mean like looking at letterbox every single one of the people that i follow outside of one has given it four stars or above and it's a, it's an out of five system on Letterbox. Yes, but that but that yes, so that's they like, they do the half points too. So I mean, gotcha. it's, it's really ten ratings that you can give. Right, right, and it's uh, and that's really highly regarded, right? When a movie hits that sort of, I would say are, so. I think I think four yeah. stars and above on Letterbox means that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah, it's interesting too, and I could see how this movie isn't for everyone. I'm glad that you didn't have like a negative reaction to it. You know, I, you're, it sounds like, yeah, it's pretty good, man. Like, you know, eh, kind of indifferent maybe. And I don't and maybe know if I'm indifferent. I, I honestly just didn't really like this movie. Like, oh I, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm more than indifferent. I, I, cool. I don't 
think I'll ever watch it again just because I'm just like, wow, I'm not, I'm not into it. it doesn't that's work so, that's fascinating to me because I will be, I'll be, this will be an annual rewatch for me. This that's is going amazing. into like sideways territory of like a movie I can see over and over and over and it never gets old. Well, what, I, so so well, yeah, what specifically about it is, yeah. are, are you latching onto here? Like, is it, yeah. is it the, the dialogue? Is it the, the character? Like what, what is your, your, uh, mm-hmm. connection point to this? Well, I'll say that on first watch, because I really didn't know much about this movie at all, at all, going into it. And I think I knew it was sci-fi. I think that's all I knew. And I just was like so kind of drawn into this movie slowly. And I was like, where is this going? This weird trunk thing and like all this kind of like this sort of like rudderless kind of lost in America sort of vibe. And then he gets just kind of pulled into this weird job and it just, I was like, I'm really digging how random this movie is and how strange it is and how it really just goes in really unexpected directions. And when the credits roll, I'm like, yeah, I think I really like that a lot. And I watched it with my friend Jenny and my friend Bridget, and we all kind of agreed. It was like, yeah, that was great. And then when I rewatched it again and prep to prep for the pod, I was like, holy shit, I, I, I definitely liked it the first time, but I'm really, really into this now. And now the third time, I'm like, good Lord, this movie is, is indestructible in my mind. So uh, in terms of, to answer your question more specifically, I think the movie is so damn funny. And, and, it, and it is like, that's probably the biggest thing that stands out to me is like all the weird touches in it. I guess that's a good place to start. The strangeness of the film and how funny the strangeness is. Something just like the the generic product labels. I absolutely loved those. Like when at one point Harry Dean Stanton's like, let's go get a drink. And then it cuts to him putting like two six packs on the shelf of a convenience store on the counter. And they literally are just called drink. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the name that's on the label. The beer cans are just called beer. Like at one mm-hmm. point when he goes back to his parents' house and they're like kind of zombified in front of that preacher on the television... He's eating out of a can that's just labeled food. It's like a big, like massive, like you'd see like an army bean can. And he's just eating out of that. And then there's even like, I think there's tomato ketchup, or like <laughs> tomato catsup in the uh, gas station uh, shootout that happens later in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, that's just one example of just like, that's just so weird. And I don't really know why that's the case. That's the kind of stuff that I dug in this movie. Like I yeah, like yeah. when it's being weird. Like I like yeah. when it's just kind of doing whatever it wants to do. I, I think for me though, like the meanderingness of that didn't hold together, but anyway, yeah. uh, no, yeah. I, I get that. And the, and the meanderingness is another part that's that's so deeply charmed me in this movie, like it to go to going along with the quirkiness, like the 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 fact that it just jumps so loosely around from like thing to thing, and it's just you're you're spending time with different groupings of characters, you know, and like it's really fun to see these these people interacting together and these people interacting together, and in a way, it's kind of like a I, I view this film almost like it's like a science fiction workplace comedy. The way it just leapfrogs from scene to scene and does all these kind of weird cuts. Like, remember that when um, Emilio Estevez is first, like, officially being being a repo man? Mm-hmm. And he and Harry Dean Stanton are driving around. Stanton's driving the car. And it's just, like, randomly cutting from, like, day to night during the conversation and then, like, back to day. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, but the conversation flows pretty seamlessly. But it just is a, it's one of the coolest ways I've ever seen in a movie of showing 
the kind of daily grind and the passage of time. It's like literally like a day and a half has gone by and they're still kind of talking about the same shit and they're still kind of having like the same conversation. Yeah, that's interesting. And I really, I really liked choices like that that were happening. And again, you know how like if you have a comedy show, something like I think my go-to example is something like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where you have the show really revolves around these five central characters and through the course of the show's runtime, you get to see a variety of groupings of people in that show, of the, of the principal five. And a lot, of, a lot of their episodes kind of fall into this rhythm of like, well, you guys go do that thing. We're going to do this thing. And it's really fun to see how the energies shift in the various groupings that, that splinter from that original story point. Mm-hmm. And I felt a lot about that. I, I felt very similarly with this, with like, we see him with like, you know, that character light who is like, he's the black guy who's got the, got the gun with the blanks in it. I enjoyed light. Yeah. Like I loved light. And he's like, you got to read that book. And he's got like the cigarette just like hanging in his mouth. He's just like, you're still on the job, white boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just firing the gun. Get your ass in the car. white boy. That was my favorite part in the movie. Yeah. But like, I loved seeing that guy, this guy, like, and you get these different philosophies of the different type of repo men. Yeah. Like Harry Dean Stanton's like the, I don't break in or whatever, like never damage the car. Like it's not worth getting killed over a car. And then we get to see light. This other guy who's just like he'll he'll shoot, he'll get in a shootout over a car, but he's got but he's also has his own type of code, you know, and he just seems like the coolest fucking guy. He's really funny, and uh, but again, the whole everyone in the office, I just I think they're all so funny, and they I like, all have I like how energies. you're positioning it as a workplace comedy. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't really approached it that way. Um, I think I was so desperately like trying to find something to latch onto and I just, I missed it in plain sight maybe. Mm-hmm. No, I th- but I th- it, the movie is so, it's, it's operating on such a unique frequency that I t- can totally understand, um, people not getting into it or mm-hmm. not, not being able to engage with it. Cause it is again, very, very unique and very specific. And it seems like such an LA movie. I've never been to LA. So what the fuck do I know? But like there are people from there seem to really enjoy L.A. movies, quote unquote. And there are like a series of like this is a really big like and it's a really honest L.A. film, quote unquote. Like the Big Lebowski is considered a great L.A. film. Heat is considered a great L.A. film. Well, the one I was thinking about while watching this was They Live. And I think They Live is a better better looking version of of this kind of style, in in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, And also these movies are kind of. Those two movies, I think They Live is a great one to bring up because they're they're operating on similar energies and they're tackling similar issues Definitely. of like commercialism and sort of the feeling. There must have been well, a certain it's, it's, feeling. It's like a re- reaction to Reagan era America. Absolutely. There's a there's sort of a there's a desperation and a listlessness in both films. And uh, I think there, that must have been a rhythm that a lot of people were feeling in the nation at the time. And he uh, and they're both exploring these in very unique, very different ideas. But I love that you brought up they live because mm-hmm. you're right. That is definitely one that they're of a piece. To, they're definitely they're, like yeah. in the same family of movies for sure. Yeah, it made sense that they came out around the same time. And 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 also we'll let the audience know you really love they live. Right? Oh, I did. Yeah, I, yeah. They yeah, live yeah. rules. Uh, I I mean, to me, that's the different and and. Maybe maybe we start talking about Alex Cox because I just sure. I, I'm kind of a little bit shocked by your 
saying that this movie is is well directed because to me mm-hmm. the the perfect juxtaposition here is they live directed by John Carpenter a fucking master who knows mm-hmm. how to use a camera to tell a story and is like like just like just so fucking good like like Carpenter mm-hmm. is is incredible and then you compare it to this and I'm like this is just a lesser version of that to me mm. I think you know it's I want to bring this up right now. In 2009, Alex Cox made a sequel to this movie mm-hmm. called Repo Chick. Mm. And he shot Repo. it entirely on a green screen stage and digitally added the entire world behind them. And it looks like it. Ooh. This is the worst looking movie I have ever seen in my life. Anyone listening to this, we'll put it in the show notes, but you got to look at the trailer for this movie. The only, it's so funny. I mean, we've talked about Barry recently. Um, the, <laughs> the only other actor, uh, the only actor in it, rather, that I recognize whatsoever is is Miguel Sandoval from Jurassic Park and Barry fame that, that we've talked about recently. Yes. Yeah, so who, who, so he plays Archie. What character is Archie? I can't remember. Wait, in what? Repo Man. So Sandoval, I just can't. I didn't. I didn't recognize him in Repo Man. I'm trying to. Oh, is he in Repo Man? I completely missed that. If that's the case, it says Miguel Sandoval played Archie. Uh, and and this is in in Repo Man, and but I can't remember him showing up in the film. I'm I'm struggling to to figure it out. Wow. Yeah, I I'm just I didn't recognize him, but I guess he's a repeat uh, character (laughs) in uh, Repo Chick, and holy shit, dude. Uh, if there's ever been a single YouTube video that's an indictment of someone being called a good filmmaker, that would be it. Yeah. The the trailer for Repo it's Chick? It's brutal, man. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I'll watch that for the science of it, but I'm not touching Repo Chick with a 10-foot pole because I just... This movie, Repo Man for me, just lives in isolation, and I... Well, tell me what you again, like about so his the, the filmmaking in this movie. Like, What do it's you like really, about how he uses the camera? It's it's a lot of uh, a lot of it is about the the beauty of the shots and the cinematography I think in terms of the camera work, and it's about the in terms of direction. I really like the quirky decisions that he and his his actors together are coming up with. That's really in terms of the type of directing that I liked is like the choices they were making from a performance level, like especially like dialing up when the, when the movie really cranks up. The absurdity. And that's what I love. I love how Alex Cox has his hand on the absurdity dial in this movie and is just playing with it as it goes. And sometimes it spikes up and gets ridiculous and then it simmers back down into some sort of grounded reality and then it spikes back up again. And thinking about like, um, and we'll be jumping around as usual in this film. Do you remember uh, that actor, Dick Rude? He plays Duke, the kind of bald ruffian character who's part of the gang and used to be Emilio Estevez's friend. And yes. Yeah. He went like, I think that performance is so hysterical and the way like it just, again, when His Alex name Cox, is Dick rude, isn't that crazy? Uh, but when Al, the way Alex Cox has his hand on that meter again, on that kind of absurdity meter. And he just like, when they, he starts running away, he's like, yeah, let's go do some crimes. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go get some sushi and, and not pay. And it's just like so funny to me. It's so such a random choice. And I think it's delivered really, 
well, but I think like uh, like both the actor and the director are kind of finding that balance together, and it's it's really absurd. And then in his death scene, when he's like dying, he's dying after the convenience store shootout, and he's like. It was society that made me this way, man. And then it's just like, dude, you're just a white kid from the, you're a white punk from the suburbs like me, man. And then he like goes to die and he's just making all of these gurgly sounds for so long. And he's just like, and it's so over the top. And, and right like near the last one, Emilio Estevez is like, you're going to be okay. And then you think you hear like the last gurgle and Emilio Estevez goes, uh, maybe not. And then he like gets to go away and there's one final gurgle and he like looks back at him and then gets up to leave. And again, it's like, that's the, the element of the directing that I was so swooned by in this film is like the, the sort of um, the decisions and the choices, not so much about the camera work, which again, I really loved from a cinematography lighting perspective, but it, the directing that really flared with me, like was the choices. And like, there's a shot at one point in the office where Harry Dean Stanton is being told to take the reek off. It's after that altercation they have with the Rodrigo brothers. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'll be back before that place. Well, the place doesn't fucking stink so bad. And like all this stuff is like really funny. Like the guy who plays like the security guard rent-a-cop guy is just in the front of the frame, just knitting, just like knitting like a colorful thing. I don't even know what he's working on. And the movie is just full of really weird choices like that, that I just loved. I was like, what? Who, who knew this guy was going to be a knitter? So unexpected, this sort of kind of volcanic, like probably like uh not power hungry, but you know what I mean? Like kind of dickish security guard type of character. Yeah. He's just a, he just happens to be a knitter and he's just sitting there watching this argument take place, just knitting away. And so again, from a directing perspective, it was really about the choices that I loved. It's like, I've been so in love with, with the randomness and the creativity behind the decisions they're making. Fair enough, man. Yeah. It didn't work for me quite the same way, but I'm, you know, who am I to yuck someone's yum? No, no, it's fine. And I get it. It is a very weird type of movie. So I, I totally get why it doesn't, not everyone responds to it. Well, let's talk about Harry Dean Stanton. He's the reason that yeah. we, we got to this movie in the first place. I've always been somewhat aware of Harry Dean Stanton, and I've always just kind of heard him referred to as just a legend, you know, and, and mm -hmm. I didn't really know why. I, I, I was aware of a couple of things, but what was your background with Harry Dean before this movie? I mean, obviously you had seen him in, Escape from New York, but but before that, I mean, did, were you aware of him outside of that movie? In in two kind of well, in one obvious way and one less very obscure way. So he was an alien, right? Correct. Yes. So that He's is the guy with the cat who is, I think, the guy the first with the to cat. Die, honestly, and so that well, is other how than John Hurt, other than Jared Hurt, the chest explosion. Spoiler alert for Alien, <laughs> but. uh so Harry Dean Stanton, I knew him from that. And that scene in particularly is I believed, I believe that to be one of the most suspenseful scenes in film history. When Harry Dean Stanton is off looking for his cat in that room with all the chains and the water's dripping. Might be the best death scene in any horror movie ever. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know how many minutes that scene is, but it is just fist clenchingly tense. And... What's so amazing about it is that scene doesn't really result in a jump scare. Like it, it it's it's a terrifying death in a way, but it's not 
like the the scene just builds tension, 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 and you expect it to end with this eruption, but it's literally just like Stanton looking up and then the alien looking down, and then it ha- and then the moment happens. It's just like it's unbelievable. So his performance in that scene is great. And then have you ever seen the documentary Dig? No. What is Dig? Okay. Dig is one of my favorite rock documentaries of all time. It's a documentary covering the bands, the Brian Jonestown Massacre and the Dandy Warhols. And they're bands that they came up around the same time in a similar part of the country. I think they were both coming out of San Fran. And I am a huge Brian Jonestown Massacre fan. They're probably, you know, they're, I just like them a lot. Yeah, not not, for, not for everyone. I love a great, great, great band. And they... Uh, we're really killing it in the 90s. They still make great, great music today and actually saw them at a show uh, about a month or so ago and they were fantastic. So anyway, it covers the rise, the documentary Dig covers the rise of these two bands over the course of like six years and you get a ton of behind the scenes footage. It's shot very loosely. It's also, the doc is available on YouTube full. I'd recommend if anyone out there is interested in checking it out, Try to find a way to, to, to pay for it if you want and, and support it in a more direct way. But if you just want to see if you dig it, it is, no pun intended, if you dig it, it <laughs> is on YouTube. And it shows like a very, it, it more primarily focuses on the Brian Jonestown Massacre, I would say. And rightfully so. I definitely believe them to be the stronger band. But you get so, such a peek behind the curtain of how crazy this band's lifestyle was and how how much tension there was in the band. And they would get in fights on stage all the time. And, and one time they played at like a communist party for like 13 hours straight. How does you know, Harry Dean this... fit into this? So Harry Dean Stanton is like uh, at one point at just at this party that they, that the Brian Jonestown Massacre was throwing. And it's, it's vo- the voiceover in Dig is done by this... Uh, the guy, the guy from the Dandy Warhols. And he's just like, and actually, and you just see this, like the band's like jamming out and they're having a party. And this guy, there's this guy like bent over in the bed, just clapping along and tapping his foot to the music. And the, the guy doing the voiceover is like, yeah, apparently it was a pretty great party. That's actually Harry Dean Stanton right there. And I was, I, I didn't really know who, when I saw this doc, who Harry Dean Stanton was. And I was like, huh. So, so all that is to say, those were really the only two interactions I'd had with Harry Dean Stanton that I was aware of up until his passing. And I remember it really being kind of somewhat of headline news when he when he passed away. It's like kind of it's, I, was, I remember seeing headlines along the lines of like iconic character actor Harry Dean Stanton passes away at blah, blah, blah. And I just remember thinking, oh, yeah, that was that guy they were talking about in Dig. I really don't know much about his work. And then. We started this podcast. I saw Escape from New York, and it's like, okay, it's really time. I loved him in Escape from New York. He plays this character called The Brain, and I think he's fantastic in it. And that's when I was like, I gotta, I gotta find out more about this guy's work, and let's use this podcast to get there. So that's my relationship with Stanton before getting into this film. How about you? What did had you seen a lot of his work before this? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I was aware of him as a you know kind of cult hero kind of uh famous party goer from the the new hollywood era um you know i've always kind of been aware of harry dean i just haven't ever really dug into any of his work mostly i knew him as uh jack nicholson's friend who was his best man at his wedding that was kind of (laughs) the most i knew about him yeah uh (laughs) which is crazy i mean they've they've been great friends and um you know one of the movies that harry dean credits with 
kicking off his acting career in a big way was a movie that Jack Nicholson actually wrote. It was a Western called Ride in the Whirlwind. Mm. And Jack Nicholson wrote a character for Harry Dean Stanton. And wow. it's uh it it's a movie that, you know, Harry Dean's like, that's the first time I like, you know, he I don't know. It sounded like he had gotten pigeonholed for a long time. I mean, he the dude has been around forever. Well, I'll back up. So Harry Dean Stanton uh was in World War II. He was mm-hmm. in on in the Navy and on a boat during the Battle of Okinawa. He was like under you know, kamikaze threat, uh, wow. for, a, for a while. And, you know, so he, he started there, uh, went to college after that and kind of discovered acting at that point. And he always said that he never wanted to work on, uh, like theater or plays or anything. He, he wanted to work in, in movies. Um, so he went out to Hollywood, was in like a ton of TV for years and years and years. I mean, he was in like some classic Westerns and he got pigeonholed into a couple of roles. He got pigeonholed into like uh, kind of squirrely looking bad guys. Um, he said he, for a long time, he got just constantly cast as cop killers uh, was mm. his other kind of pigeonhole. And he just got bored of, of doing all that shit. And then the sixties and the new Hollywood era and, you know, the, the rise of people like Jack Nicholson, Warren Beatty and, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola and, you know, th- that era, which is beautifully documented in a, a book called raging bulls or sorry, easy riders, raging bulls that everyone should go read. It's a breeze of a read. It's just basically like crazy stories from the, the late sixties, early seventies, uh, new Hollywood era. Um, you know, the making of the Godfather, like all that kind of stuff. And Harry Dean is is kind of a character in all of that. So, you know, he's coming up in that era. He's like getting known as a character actor. And But it's weird. I mean, he didn't really like become famous until right about the time of Repo, Repo Man in a big way anyway. Um, mm-hmm. He was obviously a character actor up until that point. But uh, this year he had Repo Man and the movie that really defined his career called Paris, Texas by a filmmaker named Vim Vendors. Uh, who is, uh, you know, Paris, Texas is acclaimed as one of the greatest films ever made, and he's the the wow. central character of it. So, yeah. Um, he, and it was same year, sorry, or year Same before? year, 1984. Same year. Wow, yeah. so that, that was a Grand Slam year for Harry. Yeah. Um, so he kind of, I think that's kind of what cemented him as a legend, really, at that point, because, you know, he had Alien 79, Repo Man 83, or 84, you know, uh, Paris, Texas 84. So he's just, you know. He's he's suddenly a fixture in films in that way. Mm. Yeah, and late in life, because you haven't seen Paris, Texas, right? Oh, and I skipped Escape from New York in '81. That's in there too. Oh yeah, yeah. So he was really crushing it. Because yeah. like I myself have not seen or really heard much about Paris, Texas. No, I have not seen it. By the way, to answer yeah. your question. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't either. And um, I hope it gets on the board one day because I definitely want to see more Harry Dean, man. I mean, honestly, that's one that I've considered for a long time putting on because Vim Vendors is a filmmaker that I've been aware of for a long time. And, you know, a lot of people that I really respect love his movies. Uh, Mm. So I'd really like to check him out. Um, I'd be between that and Wings of Desire. That's his other really, you know, masterwork, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just I wanted to see if you've got if you have Harry Dean's uh, kind of credits pulled up. Mm -hmm. Are there any films outside of Paris, Texas that are kind of, that are popping out to you is like, that's one I want to check out in terms of performances or like things that Harry Dean Stanton is in. Well, I mean, the thing is he's, he's always a side character in everything. Like he's, right. he's very, very rarely a central character. So anything that you pick is you're, 
going to get anywhere from like five to 15 minutes of Harry Dean in it. Um, yeah. Interesting. So I, you know, what, uh, you know, I, I've seen, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos kind of recapping Harry Dean's career. And one performance that weirdly stuck out was in pretty in pink where he's playing mm. Molly Ringwald's dad in that movie. And he gives a really beautiful delivery of a, of a really tough scene uh, in the clips that I've seen. And I'm like, that looks like a really cool performance. I'd like to see that. Uh, he's also in The Last Temptation of Christ briefly. Um, Which I've never seen, by the way. Is that the Scorsese flick? That's the Scorsese Jesus movie, yeah. Yeah, I've always wanted to see that because I remember seeing Scorsese in an interview say that he th- he thought it would be really more interesting to look at the Jesus Christ-Judas relationship as like one where the betrayal was necessary and they both knew it was coming but it was Mm -hmm. necessary so it's like hearing that would be like oh that would be a really interesting story to see on on film and i do like willem defoe so i that's one i'll probably put on the board someday i'm curious to check that out yeah no i'd be i mean that'd be a fucking minefield of a conversation but we no that's all right (laughs) but i mean i'd be down to check it out but uh i can't believe you haven't brought this up yet do you are you not aware that he's in another movie that's already on the board i don't think so i don't think so is it one of mine or one of yours Uh, you tell me (laughs) so it's one of mine uh what's he in he is in the straight story, my friend. Oh, cool. I don't I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we got something to look forward to in addition to it being a Lynch film and our first Lynch film. I mean, he's pretty far down the cast list from what I can tell, but uh he's in there. He's in there. That's great. Uh yeah, that story has a fascinating dartboard origin. That movie has a fascinating dartboard origin that we'll get to on the day that we hit it. All right. Well, yeah, I'm that's good to, to good to know it's coming. Yeah. Um, in fact, he's dead last before the, the, uh, he's last on the cast list outside of the uncredited actors. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> so classic Harry Dean character yeah. actor extraordinaire. Yeah. Um, for those who have never heard of any of these movies that we're talking about, uh, you will have seen Harry Dean Stanton almost assuredly if you saw The Avengers, the original Avengers by Joss Whedon. Uh, he is the security guard who comes across Mark Ruffalo after he falls out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, it seems like just a fascinating career and excited to see more of his stuff. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of him in this movie? I think he overall is the standout to me. Um, I think, as I said before, all of his scenes with Emilio are my favorite shit in the movie. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? Oh, man, I think he's great in this. He he shines. I love the way he delivers his lines. I really like the, the, the ordinary fucking people iconic scene that was mentioned in Party Down. Like when he's the way he's blowing rails and he's just running through the repo man code and all this stuff is really, really funny. And he says he he curses people out really well, like when he's storming out of the office and that guy's doing the knitting I was talking about earlier. And he's just like, fuck you. It's like it's like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Fuck you. It's like a big, emphatic fuck you. Mm-hmm. And he just and again, the way he says, like, well, I'll be back with a place doesn't stink so bad. And it's just like. He's got such a great way of, of delivering lines. And like there's that amazing, amazing shot where Harry Dean Stanton and Light are at that lookout point kind of with their cars. It's a split diameter shot that's one of my favorite shots in the movie. And Harry Dean Stanton's just kind of ranting in the background how if they get this car, they get this 20K, 
uh, he can just quit. And, and Lai's just like, you can't live off 20 grand a minute. 20 grand a year or not a year but you can't live off 20 grand man and Harry Dean's like hell yeah I can it's like you gotta have great credit I have excellent credit and the way he says excellent credit reminds me so much of the way Dirk Diggler says excellent in in Boogie Nights when he's they're showing that fake porn scene about the the food in the restaurant (laughs) he's like it's not good it's excellent and I think I I had I wonder if that was a bit of a hat tip to Harry Dean but like that's really funny I hope but still but the, he just he get he has a really cool way of hitting words, and he's got an amazing look. So mm-hmm. I I absolutely loved him in this movie. Yeah, uh, I I feel the same way. I mean, he, like I said, he's my favorite performance in the movie. Um, and that the scenes with him and Emilio just they they they're great. They uh, mm-hmm. they really work together. Um, let's talk about Emilio. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just gonna say. Like remember that scene where like they're driving in the car, and uh, just Harry Dean Stanton says Harry Dean Stanton says something along the lines of like, "We never communicate anymore." It's like when we worked when we started working together, we used to talk, and they're having like a couple fight. It's just mm-hmm. he's just so great, love him. And those and you're right, those two together, him with Emilio, they're 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 dynamite together. No, it's great. And uh, Harry Dean also gets the the last scene you know kind of in the car that's that's like i think he nails all that stuff it's it Mm -hmm. it's it's you know it's it's sad when he gets shot for sure and he dies over a car it's terrifying yeah it's so sad um let's talk about emilio Mm -hmm. what's we you know we briefly mentioned that that this is his really his second movie basically i mean he was in other stuff but i mean this was the movie his his kind of uh follow-up immediately after the outsiders which you know was kind of the uh, debut of a lot of great 80s movie stars and uh yeah i think for being a you know his second leading performance ever probably like that's not i mean and the outsiders he wasn't even leading i think he's a supporting guy in that i haven't seen it but uh yeah i mean like i think he handles it pretty well i don't think he gets anything good to do he's kind of a piece of shit the whole time uh you know like like that's the stuff that i don't latch onto. but i think he's doing what he can with it yeah dude i it's i um i think he was maybe my least favorite performance in the film but overall i still like it i still dug it like there is a sort of like there's a there's a vacancy in him he doesn't really seem like he's kind of there. Like he kind of almost seems like uh, people who do obnoxious Keanu Reeves impressions, and they're like, "Whoa!" and they're just playing up. Not that he's talking like that surfer guy, but they're playing up that type of character. Hey, man! That, yeah, that the, the kind of stoned out, not really there type of energy. Um, and obviously, Keanu Reeves is a badass and awesome. My but favorite like, you know, line he gets is perfect for what you're talking about. It's when he's getting beat up by the the uh, group of guys yeah. that after he tries to take the grandma's car and it's on blocks, yeah. and, he, and they pull him out of the car and they're beating him up with a guitar case, and he's like, "I like music too, man. Yeah, I like music too. What a great line. Yeah, he he's just um." I think that sort of like vacancy that I'm kind of picking at is intentional. You know, again, like we talked about in comparison with They Live. See, I don't think it's a vacancy, though. You don't think so? I think it's a guy. I think it's a guy. I think he's very good at playing someone uh, who wants to be high status, who is low status. 
Mm. I think that's that's Emilio's strength as an actor. Mm. Um, he like he knows how to put on a front of being the coolest guy in the room, but he's never. He, you can always tell it's not actually his real self so like you know perfect example is the breakfast club obviously because he's playing the jock who is more complicated than he lets on you know you know i've never seen that film by the way it's one of my shamers yeah never seen oh man yeah you got to watch the breakfast club that's a classic but um i mean i think even in the mighty ducks he's kind of doing this where he's like he's this guy who believes he's above where he is in life but you know his his arc is coming to terms with with that and you know embracing that at the end of that movie but anyway point being i think in this movie he is a guy putting up a front of cool and collected that he doesn't actually have yeah see it's interesting i i view his his performance in this a little bit not about trying to abstain obtain status or, or, or punching up or climbing the ladder. I think he's just kind of looking for purpose and he's looking for something to do. And which uh, kind of brings in a little bit of like some of the ending of this film and the whole like alien sci-fi stuff that we haven't really touched on and we'll get to, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, I think he's just, he's looking, he's, he's completely without purpose and he's just, I, that's how I view it anyway. And I see it as he's not, he's not worried so much about, status or 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 climbing i think he's just looking for a productive way to spend his days and not feel so lost and yeah um that's kind I of know. what i, I just, get i, I kind of read it as like because my favorite parts of his performance are where he's breaking from the facade of cool and collected you yeah. know like like again going back to the scene with light where he's like you know in the the gun gunfight with the guy in the window mm-hmm. um that's that's my favorite parts of of the Emilio performance because he's he's like holy shit like what yeah what the fuck is going on like that that's my favorite Emilio yeah no I think that's a, I think that's a really good point I think I, I'm with you there I think I like when he kind of he he lets that that mask fall of like yeah I'm the coolish guy here and nothing phases me and yeah then I'm the guy who like, will tell my boss to go fuck himself for telling me to do, do my job and walk out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't. You know me. I don't give a fuck. Like you know. But and then, but then when he gets rattled, and that falls, or even in the moments where he gets, he, he he's actually experiencing happiness or joy, like when the Rodrigo brothers first arrive in the film, and they're doing that uh, driving scene down the reservoir, and they're kind of like, kind of racing and jockeying, and then the scene ends, and Emilio is like actually happy he's like oh man this is crazy like this i didn't know the job was gonna be like this is blah 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 it's like he's like almost like a kid on christmas or something like he's and and it seems like a real energy but then yeah so i i like i like when those those real moments happen for the characters so maybe you know this happens a lot like we you and i get to talking and something that i'm like meh on all of a sudden like as we as we get into the rhythm i'm like ah, oh i'm warming I'm warming, so maybe I'm warming on the Amelia. Yeah, yeah. No, I think he works. I, I think this movie only works if you have a guy who uh, isn't like, like like a guy who is kind of faking it till he makes it. You know that that you have to have mm-hmm. that energy in this role, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yep. Real quick, this is kind of reminding me. Do you? Rem- I wanted to ask you. Do you think that the stunt where the guy is hanging onto the side of the car and gets whipped off, like the first car that Emilio steals, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that stunt was intended to be that brutal? Because that I guy don't, gets fucking wrecked. 
Dude, maybe. I don't. Oh, I don't know if it was intended to be, but that definitely looked like a hairy stunt when he's hanging off the side of the car. It's like saying? an old guy, and it looks like it's yeah. just the actor from that scene. It does not look like it's a stunt double. Maybe they got. They maybe they just did their job really well in terms of the makeup department or who. Or I hope so, man, because that yeah, yeah. old guy, if that's the real guy, he gets fucking like destroyed. <laughs> like he, he's yeah. holding on to it. And that car is whipping at probably 30 miles an hour, it feels like at that point. <laughs> it's it's almost certainly not going that fast, but on film, mm. it looks like intense. And the guy Dude. goes ass over tea kettle and like it's <laughs> it's bad, man. Let's uh let's move on. I I, I do really quick want to mention. This is a, we've got a, a repeat dartboard movie night appearance here. Really? Who came back around? Tracy I, I, I Walter. Who did he play in this? So Tracy Walter is the guy, uh, the, the non-driving repo man who eventually right. flies the UFO at the end. Bob the goon from Aaron Brockovich. Bob the fucking goon. And you know I'm going to say it. Aaron Brockovich. I Aaron always say it Brockovich. that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bob the goon from Aaron Brockovich. That's a great uh, you're right. I saw. I forgot. I I had made that connection. I was like, oh shit, yeah, that's that guy. And he, I think, is fucking awesome in this. I think he's great. I yeah, yeah. he's he's fun in this movie. I um, his, his just complete acid trip brain when he's mm-hmm. just going on on rants. That mm-hmm. that was that was pretty entertaining. I enjoyed. Oh, that. The, that that speech he gives at the at the burning barrel. Yeah. When he's just throwing, he's got this poker stick. Emilio Estevez is there, and again, that's another thing I love about this movie is the pairings that they the people that they put Emilio with, and how all those things just keep rotating and changing. Mm-hmm. But I particularly loved that one. He's just burning this shit. I don't know what he's. It looks like shirts, or I don't even know what he's just trash. He's just throwing in this barrel as it's burning. <laughs> it's one shot take, no cuts, and it's a long speech. It's a real, it's a real monologue, and it's pretty complicated. It's a great. It's, the scene looks beautiful. It's like kind of lit, dusky behind him, and and he's just going on and on, like you're saying about this kind of trippy, acidy conspiracy thing. And then of course at the end of the film, he ends up being right. And I just love the sort of like strangeness about uh, how he doesn't he doesn't like to to drive because it it softens the mind and he does his best thinking on the bus and like it's just really quirky but great scene uh, and exceptionally well delivered. Yeah, um, no, he he's I, I had a lot of fun with him in this movie and we have to mention him because he's a dartboard movie night legend in the making. Yeah, he's showing yeah, up. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have my eyes peeled for more Bob the Goon. You know I am. Do you think he's reached kennel status? Oof. I mean, Harry Dean almost certainly has. Harry Dean has probably reached kennel status. I don't know if 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 I'm just going to keep calling him Bob the Goon. I can't. I'm never going to remember his name. Is it Tracy Walters? Is that it? Yes. And to clarify, okay. he's Bob the Goon in Batman. Yeah, not Aaron Brockovich. Whatever his, I don't remember what his character's name is in fucking yeah, Aaron Brockovich. In Aaron Brockovich, just to, if people can't remember, he plays the whistleblower. Yes. Who's kind of like, he's the one who gives Aaron the final piece of the puzzle that she needs and we're led to believe through the direction of the film that he's like hitting on her and trying to get her number and being creepy but anyway yeah um i don't know if he gets in the kennel i think it's a i think he's right outside he's a repeat he's just a repeat character so far on the show yeah i think he's a very rock solid repeat i I think he's still he's still orbiting the kennel Still pacing around out there, in my opinion. But I really, I don't want to sell him short. But I think the kennel, we can't be throwing kennel spaces out left and right. Hey, I had to ask the question. 
I think even Harry Dean's a maybe because I think I need to see okay, more of his he's, stuff. Okay, he's on the fringes. We'll see after yeah, the straight yeah. story if he if he enters that status. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's you know he's he's in the queue for sure. All right, all right. Yeah, as we're kind of hopping around to just various, I think we're in that section of the performances where we're just doing quick shout outs. Like, um, I absolutely love the Rodrigo brothers. I think they're so damn funny. I love the actors who play them. I love, like, <laughs> the way, they, again, the way they deliver lines is great too, but their whole, the way they're introduced as a rival, but they're kind of cool guys. We, we grow to like them pretty quick, or I certainly did. And I don't know, there's just something so charming and so funny about them. And like, especially when this, when the story gets into that really fun chapter where who has control of the car is constantly rotating. I, that's maybe my favorite part of the movie. And, and it's just, uh, this, this this everyone's been looking for this car for so long and it just rapidly changes hands over the course of like five minutes it's so funny and like when they come back out from the convenience store with the sodas and they see that the car has been stolen and they just like kind of very like matter of fact just look at the funny. reality and just start sipping on the soda it's just i was just cracking up and uh the um you know when they're on the phone on like i think it's the car phone and they're like hey this car is hot like no, really, like it's not stolen. Oh, it's, it's literally like, it's hot. hot. <laughs> it's literally hot, and it's just they're just so damn funny. And my favorite joke that they do in the movie is when they're going into the hospital, and one of the brothers tries the wrong door, and it kind of gets locked, like stopped there, and the other brother goes through the proper one because you know that bullshit. Whenever they lock one of the doors for some dumb reason, I think just to make us look dumb, but the guy who goes through the correct door. Shoots his brother a look like you fucking dumbass, and it's really subtle, but it's so funny to me. And they just their performances has so much shit like that in it to me. So I loved the Rodrigo brothers in it. I don't think I'm gonna name everybody, but I would say pretty much everyone in the office. I loved that the the security card guy I mentioned who was doing the knitting when he's like ripping into Emilio Estevez for like telling him shut the fuck. He's like. Don't call me that scumbag. Like, and he's just like, fuck you. You don't ever tell me to shut up. And he's like, I really like that performance. The guy who kind of seems like the manager is really funny. When Harry Dean Stanton is bitching about the altercation with the Rodrigo brothers and how they're going to sue him now. And he's like, what are you taking their side? And the manager's like, I was there. Don't you remember? (laughs) That guy was hilarious. And like, uh, and again, I mentioned the, um, I already mentioned Light, but I want to give the actor a shout out. Cy Richardson is his name. He, like I mentioned, was was cracking me up. Every scene he was in, I absolutely loved. He was just like the coolest, funniest guy. I already mentioned Dick Rude, but all the people playing kind of the punks and stuff like that. And even Olivia Barish, who plays Layla, the chick with the smile pins, who works for the UFO Institute, the United Fruitcake Organization. She was cracking me up. And the guy who plays the, the driver of the car. With the with the spectacle, mm-hmm. one spectacle out. I thought he was amazing. The lobotomized guy. The lobotomized guy, and I actually heard I think that his name uh, is Fox, or, or is it? Yeah, the character yeah, is J, J. Frank Parnell, and the actor is uh, Fox Harris. Yeah, I thought he was excellent, and it turns out I heard and I listened to a little bit of the commentary, and I heard that he actually didn't know how to drive. So whenever they did wide shots, they had to get a different actor in the car because, <laughs> uh, yeah, so funny, funny choice for that role because that driving is a really important component of it. He's doing it like most of his scenes, but uh, but he 
was great. I thought he was really, really good. That's awesome. I'd like to go into the music in this fucking movie, man. Like, like I think it is such a important component in this film and is one of my favorite soundtracks I've ever heard from, uh, from the opening. How fucking balls out and great is that opening, by the way, with like the green map of L.A. And I don't know how far east it goes from L.A., but it's got that music from Iggy. Iggy Pop, and it's just like the the edits are happening right in sync with the music, and it's just like, no 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 no, and it's just like I don't know, really cool intro, yeah, but right driving at, it gets you in the mood mood for the yeah, movie. and r- so right out of the gate we get some a really strong musical taste to this film, and it's laced with some really good from the time punk rock. I think the Circle Jerks are in it a lot, and a lot of different bands that were really a part of the punk movement at the time, mm-hmm. which again was probably a lot really born out of reaction to the Reagan era, era you know? Absolutely, so yeah. Kind of, kind of makes sense that it's it's all through, sprinkled throughout this movie, and the original music that's in the movie is so good. I mean, there were f- frequent scenes where, you know, Emilio's just walking around or kicking a can and it's just set to this amazing music. I'm like holding my phone up, trying to Shazam it, being like, is this an original? Is this a, is this a song I can find? It just was such a fucking great soundtrack. And again, another kind of character in the film that I think is vital and is badass. Loved the music in this. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm always just the guy that's coming in saying, eh, it just didn't totally work for me." But I well, mean, like, that's the yeah, truth. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's it's indicative of the time and the era, and you know what what this movie is about. It's definitely like all of a piece. I I think it's cool that they got Iggy Pop to to you know do a movie or a sound song just for this movie. You know, a low budget kind of independently produced little sci fi thing. Like I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, overall, I didn't really have a strong reaction to the music uh, mm. other than appreciating kind of the intro bit of it, which I, I thought was pretty cool. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else uh, about the music? Anything else uh, on that? No, no, I'm good. I just wanted to say, like, I, I, I loved it and I think it was a key pillar in, in the flick. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, for people that this movie works on, that's a that's a big part of it, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything else you want to touch on on the cinematography before we wrap up? Uh, just because we have yeah. it on the list. I mean, we we talked a, a good bit about it with the Alex Cox stuff, I think. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we should probably I, credit the cinematographer while we're at it. Mm-hmm. The movie was shot by Robbie Muller, who I actually read a, a funny trivia bit uh, about. Apparently in the scene where they brandish the bats uh, at the Rodrigo brothers, mm-hmm. Harry Dean refused to use a bat that wasn't a real wooden bat. And so when he's swinging that bat around, that's a fucking like heavy ass wooden bat. And apparently Robbie Mueller had to put a kibosh on that because he was just like, dude, a bat literally just wished pet. Like I felt the wind (laughs) off of a bat come by my face. Yeah. Not only could it take the camera out, it could really fucking hurt someone. So no, because they're getting in that fight. They're getting in close. Like it's a handheld shot. It's really getting in there, which I love that the use of that in that sequence. And yeah, so I don't blame him for being like, fuck that, dude. Pick up your wiffle bat and deal with it because I'm not getting cracked in the skull for this shit. Yeah, the quote, the quote from IMDb trivia. So take it, take for, you know, the grain of salt that's due with with the IMDb routine trivia. grain of salt. For the IMDb quote IMDb from from uh, <laughs> Robbie Mueller was just now I felt the wind of a wooden bat pass over my face. I will not shoot this scene unless all actors use plastic bats. 
Yeah. <laughs> but Good for him, man. Apparently, Good for him. <laughs> this is the best part. I completely forgot to say this part, but apparently like when they told Harry Dean that he couldn't use a wooden bat, he, he screamed out, Harry Dean Stanton only uses real baseball bats. <laughs> did he? I wonder if he did that a lot, referred to himself in the third person. <laughs> Who <laughs> fucking knows? That's pretty funny, though. What a statement to say. That's so funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Apparently, also at a certain, uh, just to give another funny trivia bit from the IMDb trivia, Harry Dean Stanton wanted to do a baseball type signal to Emilio Estevez in a scene where he had to show him where to park a car. Cox, uh, Alex Cox, the the director, a notorious sports hater, refused the suggestion. According to Alex Cox on the DVD commentary, Stanton lost his temper. "Quote: I've worked with the greatest directors of all time, Francis Ford Coppola, Monty Hellman. You know the you know why they're great because they let me do whatever the fuck I wanted." <laughs> but anyway, Robbie Muller, going back to to cinematography, he he shot this movie, and uh, yeah. I mean, you were more of a fan of it than I was, it sounded like. Yeah, I was super fan, man. I mean, you know, when we get into this cinematography stuff as just fans of it and not knowing how these are achieved, how these effects are achieved, we just kind of end up doing like kind of shot shout outs, you know. But I just some of them really stood out as like, just that's gorgeous. Just a lot of those shots of just the sky and everything being dusky at night and the colors. I think they were all captured so well. And there were these just occasional great shots of like, Again, to reference that scene of the first time we meet the Rodrigo brothers and they're like driving down the reservoir. At one point, like the spray from the tires is like making a little rainbow behind the car and it like spins around. It's like just like, holy shit, they're, they're catching everything in this movie. And that's a that's a hell of a complicated shot. And uh, so, again, just the, the glowiness of it and just that like opening shot of the film or not the opening shot of the film, but in the early sequence the first trunk evaporation of that police officer that leaves the boots standing and like fuming there. That shot as he drives away, and I think it's on a crane pull away shot of the boots still there. And we just see the, the dusky horizon. I really like that opening scene. Yeah. And with that, with it's got the sun on the far right of the screen, just like glowing, but it's not flaring out into the lens or anything. So there was just a lot of that sort of stuff. I was like, just a like, great shot, great shot, beautiful. So I really, really Sorry. dug the cinematography in this. Kind of going from there and kind of talking about that intro scene, what did you think of the whole trunk element of this story, the whole kind of sci-fi angle that they're taking? Did you get a solid read on exactly what is in that trunk? Do you think it's made clear? Well, don't they make it clear that it's alien bodies? So I think... I think from my perspective, they make two things possible. Um, and I think it, I, I lean towards aliens. We have the Layla character who introduces the whole angle of the aliens and like the FBI that's trying to track them down. So that's definitely a possibility. Mm-hmm. But then we have the guy who is lobotomized and is maddening talking about this certain type of bomb that can like eliminate everything it's like a neutron bomb he calls well, it isn't, like, i mean he's just implying that the bodies are are a bomb in that way oh he's that, that's how i that, read it anyway I, oh, okay I no that be might be because i mean the i whole, didn't think the, there was any the, confusion over what was in the back yeah the way the car uh starts like flying around and all this stuff that's when it's clear like i think it's like okay yeah this is not just a bomb in the trunk these are like ufo extraterrestrial 
supernatural beings that are got getting this car off the ground and it might be a time machine. Okay, cool. Cause I, I was viewing it as like, Oh, there's multiple ways to take what's in the trunk and what's evaporating these people. Yeah. But I think you're right by the, now that we're talking about it and batting it around, I think it is aliens in the trunk that have this sort of certain type of radiation that just destroys like flesh, but leaves like, you know, like physical material around or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just supposed to be kind of an otherworldly like power that you don't understand really. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I don't think yeah. it's meant to be have any sort of real specificity. Yeah, a cool like it's definitely got some good sci-fi going on in this film, and I think that's really obviously embodied by the trunk and everything else. But yeah. but yeah, I think uh, again, I just was so into this. Well, so while we're talking movie. about the trunk, I mean, I do want to mention another movie that people should check out if they like this movie. Um, we've talked on the podcast before about. Uh, my love of of film noir, and mm-hmm. you know specifically in the in a lonely place episode. If anyone's listening to this and they haven't seen in a lonely place, um, great movie, go check it oh, out. Oh yeah, dope. Both Drew and I loved it totally. Uh, but the uh, movie that that this movie was bringing to mind specifically because of the glowing trunk was Kiss Me Deadly, which is a movie that I've mentioned before. That movie fucking rules. And mm-hmm. uh, it got called out, and, and I'm not going to take credit for this connection, but got called out by a film critic, uh, David Ehrlich, who never gives out four stars on Letterboxd. Like, four stars is a fucking incredible movie for David Ehrlich on, on Letterboxd, mm-hmm. and he gave this four stars, so that's incredible. Mm-hmm. But he he made the comparison to Kiss Me Deadly in his review on there. And, um, uh, yeah, it's it's the main MacGuffin in Kiss Me Deadly is a box that when you open it, like sets things on fire and is like, you Mm. know, like you don't, it's this otherworldly power you never fully understand in in the movie. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking too, maybe low hanging fruit, but Pulp Fiction briefcase. I was getting vibes from that too, with the glowingness of it. Oh, I'm sure that's, yeah, there's some element of, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, going again, Mm. I would not be surprised at all if Tarantino is a massive fan of this movie. Yeah. And I think, um, and again, obviously in Pulp Fiction, like the glowing thing seems to be a positive thing. So there's definitely a bunch of differences, but I, I, I got a little bit of that sort of vibe. Ordinary fucking people, man. Ordinary fucking people. Any last thoughts you want to get out on Repo Man before we wrap up? Yeah, yeah. I just got a couple of kind of like little shout outs I wanted to say. You know, we we're talking about how funny I found this movie to be and how I loved like the random like... Uh, generic labels on the foods and everything. At one point in the convenience store, there's an ad on like a plaque behind the cash register and it just says, it's drink time. (laughs) 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 I thought that was hilarious. Uh, And just kind of randomly, random things that made me laugh. Like when the FBI people are like raiding the office and trying to capture Emilio Estevez and all that. And I think it's Marlene, that character, that, that woman who works at the office. So they're like duking it out with the FBI guys and she picks up the chair to throw it down on him. The FBI guy's like, not my face. And then she drops the chair and he's just, you just hear, my face. <laughs> it's just like, and I was like, oh man, was that the first time that joke was done? Because that has been, if so, that has been ripped off so many has times. It? And I have like... Uh, what I, what other instances can you think of? Uh, in The Simpsons, there's this joke where Homer said, <laughs> I think it's a variant of this joke, I should say. 
I think for whatever reason, Homer Simpson is getting like mauled and attacked by crows and they're like swarming his face and he just goes, not my face, not my face. And then the birds go down to his like underwear and start attacking his, his junk. And he just goes, no, no, the face, the face. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that might be like a wrinkle on, on this okay. joke. I could see um, it. Yeah. And then again, another just random thing that made me laugh was in the hospital when they're about to have the shootout in the stairwell, there are signs that are just like, be quiet. And there's a PA voice over the top of it just being like, please be quiet in the stairwell. Please be quiet in the stairwell. And then they just proceed to have a shootout <laughs> with guns and stuff. It's just I, I just jokes like that, man, were just so up my street. And I just I was so in love with this movie. I mean, as we kind of just round the bend, I mean. I just I'm I'm in love. It's in like a it's in top contention. It's just so my style. It's so loose. It does whatever it wants. It goes wherever it wants. It it does it moves at its own pace. And I could understand like people not getting into it. I can totally understand people not jiving. It's not for everybody. But for my taste and my sensibility, it is so nestled right in and I just really really love this flick. And I think it'll be one that I revisit many, many times in my life. I just, I love it. I'm starting to realize you're a big fan of scumbum cinema. And this is definitely a part of that, that, uh, that scumbum. Yeah. I've never heard of that. What is it just kind of movies like this, like kind of random? That's just, I feel like that's just internet speak for just kind of grimy punk rocky type shit like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's, this is definitely very scumbum, scumbum movie, I would say. Um, but anyway, I, yeah, I mean, I, I get why people like this movie. I think, I, you know, I, I I think in the course of this conversation, you've certainly convinced me to at least give it another watch sometime down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't work for me. But again, who am I to yuck someone's yum? I, I'm yeah. glad people are enjoying this. And, and I can appreciate it at least on the level that it is not like anything else I've really seen outside of you know, the connections we made to like they live and stuff like that. But it is mm-hmm. it is very much its own thing. Yeah. Let's do a little recap of the board as it stands right now. Um, you have been steadily climbing mm. in, closing in the overall in, record. The overall record currently sits at 12 to nine and a half in favor of me. Whoa. So, I mean, there was a time where it was like I wasn't even – in the rear view, man, I was way, way behind. So yeah, I've definitely been been pushing for a comeback here. As of Barton Fink, I had eleven, and you had four and a half. So yeah, it, it was a trouncing <sighs> for a little while. Yeah, there. that was that was the time when it was. Well, I would imagine maybe the the lead was the biggest, eleven to four and a half. Yes, but Repo wow. Man brought you up to nine and a half. Cool. Uh, we should also mention for anyone who is uh, just catching up right now, uh, the half is from Sling Blade, which was just sort of <laughs> only one of us got to watch the movie. And uh, spoiler yeah. alert, it wasn't me. Yeah. So for some reason, yeah, that movie is just not available anywhere. So Drew wasn't even able to watch it. So we we're yes. like, well, this doesn't count as an official episode. But it was a dartboard throw. So you get a half yep. point for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. 11 or excuse me, 12 to nine and a half as it stands right now. Uh, we got to put something on the board in place of Repo yeah. Man here. What are this is uh, your week this week? Yeah, dude. Last week I put on Let the Right One In at number sixteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is number seventeen that we're replacing right now. What mm. is going on in place of Repo Man? So I've got one in mind. Okay, I wouldn't say 
it is necessarily a shamer, but it's a movie that when I was a kid, like in when I was younger, it came out and was all the rage when it arrived. And I myself have never seen it. And I'm wondering your thoughts on the Blair Witch Project. You've never seen the Blair Witch Project? I've never seen it. I mean, it'd be fascinating to talk about. I'm, yeah. I'm down. I mean, I've heard it's like considered the original found footage movie. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit about the shtick. I think I've seen like a couple of minutes of it here and there, but I've never seen it before. It is something that just organically came up in conversation last night. And I was like, that might be a fun one to do. We don't really have anything like it on the board. And it's a bit of an outlier. And it's a movie that a lot of people have seen. So I think it would be a good one to chat about. Um, I mean, we've got a couple of horror movies on right now. We've got The Sixth Sense and we've got uh, Let the Right One In. But mm-hmm. uh, but that being said, like I said, like I, I think... I think that movie checks a lot of boxes in terms of it'd be an interesting conversation in terms of the the cultural legacy of it. Um, mm-hmm. I think the making of it and and the reaction to it is is just really fascinating. And yeah. the movie itself, uh, I think it's interesting to talk about whether that movie is a good movie or not. Yeah, that's you one know? of the things I'll be really. Not only will it be my obviously first time with it, but we'll which be able sounds to bad, it. but it's actually an interesting conversation. Sorry, no, I, didn't I think mean to cut you off there. No, no, you're fine. I think it. I mean, not only will it be, we'll just be chatting about my reaction to it, your your time revisiting it, and all this stuff. We'll be able to view the film with some, with some years behind it, and we'll be saying like, okay, was this just a gimmick, or did they really pull off a great film here? And that'll be a fun chat, I think. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, yeah, I won't spoil my thoughts on on the movie. I've seen it a couple of times. Um, and but, you're, I, but you're you're down for it. Your yeah, game. No, I think it's interesting. Let's let's do yep. it, man. Cool. All right, so the Blair Witch Project is going on at number 17. Let's do a recap of the board as it stands currently. At number one, we've got You Can Count on Me. Number two, Ex Machina. Number three, The Right Stuff. Number four, The Big Sleep. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, The Sixth Sense. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, The Fifth Element. Number nine, Days of Heaven. Number 10, Big Daddy. Number 11, Vertigo. Number 12, The Straight Story. Number 13, Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Number 14, The King of Comedy. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Let the Right One In. Number 17, The Blair Witch Project. Number 18, The Killing of a Chinese. Bookie number 19 on Her Majesty's Secret Service and at number 20 Kung Fu Hustle. Hell yeah, dude. Great dude, job with the we list. We have man. stacked the back end of that list with long-winded names that are really <laughs> tough to get through. Yeah, dude, it, it's literally like a vertical pie graph. Like it, each bar gets longer and longer as you go down. The killing of a funny. Chinese. That was a bookie. funny experiment what? now that we have the Blair Witch Project there. Like because Repo yeah. Man at least broke it up. <laughs> That's, that is that is funny, dude. Uh, all right, why don't you throw that dart for us? All right, dude. I, I'll be right back. All right, dude. The dart has spoken. What's it got for us this week? Sixteen. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> I mean, okay. Is it? (laughs) We're doing another one that just got on the board, but I mean, that's fine. Uh, We're doing Let the Right One In, which I just put on the board last week. (laughs) We even shortened the window this time. Dude, that's insane. You know what is so weird about these? Like, a lot of these are 
right near the bullseye because that's a lot of times I just aim for the bullseye and just chuck it. So I guess that that the, hey man, the dart is spoken. Let the right one in. Drew gets to add back to his lead a little bit. You know, you get to kind of work your way back out. But again, a little bizarre. We're on a little bit of stretch here where we're hitting really recent additions. But sometimes that's just what the dart's going to do, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. But I'm, cool. I'm down to watch it. I mean, I've been waiting to watch this movie for years and years and years. Um, so nice. this is, uh, I want to clarify for everyone, this is uh, Let the Right One In from 2008. It is not the remake. The uh, This is the, the Swedish version uh, directed by Thomas Alfredson. There's also an American version uh, called Let Me In. That's directed mm-hmm. by Matt Reeves, which I, I still would like to watch at some point, but I really wanted to watch the original first. So, uh, yeah, we're watching Let the Right One In. Yep. Let the Right One In, 2008. And just seeing here, too, according to Google, I've got it available on Hulu for free. There's other things like Sling TV, Fubo TV, Amazon Prime. And then you can pay to rent from a variety of places at the time of co- recording, of course. So I don't think... This one will be too hard to track down. I don't know anything at all about it. Uh, I don't, and we'll probably talk next week, but I don't watch a ton of horror films. So this will be kind of a lot, in a lot of ways, ground I don't normally cover on my own when it's up to me. So Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, this is a, a little bit of a, uh, a twist on the horror genre. It's not a straight horror movie. So, mm-hmm. uh, But yeah, I mean, it, it does concern vampires. So uh, get your cool. fangs out, folks. <laughs> Interesting. All right, dude. Yeah, I, I, the dart has spoken. 16 next week. Looking forward to it, man. Hell yeah. We will catch you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for our show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is provided by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mike. Later.